Welcome to the Cosmic Reality Radio Show with Nancy Hopkins and Walt Silva. Produced by Colleen Kelly of Haggy Shack Radio, simulcasted over Cosmic Reality Radio. Okay, welcome to Cosmic Reality Radio Show. It is uh, August 11th. We have um, Walt Silva, who's my always co-host, and and we have Colleen uh, with us. Colleen Kelly is our producer. So, hi, Jean. How are you doing tonight? I'm here. Oh, okay. And Valentine's here. He's ready to go. Excellent, excellent. Valentine is a watch-or-catch cat for those people that don't know. We have to sort of subtitle them. Um, Walt, what are you what are you up to tonight? You doing all right? Yeah, I'm cool. You you were telling me about the uh, what do you call it? The agenda earlier. You were telling me <laughs> our agenda. You yes. said that you said that Gene uh, has da, 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 an agenda. Well, so. no, we worked it out together because there were certain things that I was being led to focus on and. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it basically I want to talk about, um, energy, uh, and specifically to get to Anelia. Because the difference between the, before you read that, and, and then I guess you listened to the MP3 and after was pretty stunning to me. I even mentioned it to Stephanie. I said, you know, Walt went through some kind of clearing that is just, uh, you know, your energy was, uh, very, very stable, very, um, it wasn't low. It was very high, but very stable and very much in charge. I felt like you would come into your own, that you were in charge. And, uh, that after I, he listened to the MP3? Cause I just, I, I only did partial homework. I only read, the uh, the PDF file. I don't well, know. Well, listening and reading is just half of the equation. You have to put it into practice. <laughs> That's when you are going to experience the changes when you actually make use of the techniques. Uh, okay. That- before we before we get to those techniques, I really want to set it up because there's been uh, we always talk about energy and. What, what we're bringing to the table tonight. Oh, by the way, Colleen, hi, how are you? <laughs> I'm great, thanks. Thanks for asking. How are you guys? Oh, we're, we're, apparently we're fine because we've already started the show. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, because um, what happened was, well, first off, going back to Anelia, um, she's kind of, it, it, I find that when I read what she's saying, she confirms or is saying the same thing that we have been saying. Um, for instance, the storytelling that she writes about. That storytelling thing is something that I came up with, I don't know, a few weeks ago. And somebody, you know, was questioning the, 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 the mechanism of, of how this stuff works. And the mechanism really goes back down 
to what Wilcox talks about is a science. But what we see, and we're going to get into Wilcox because I want to show you that it is a science. But we, what, what we're seeing when we're dealing with energies and putting ourselves out there and saying the things that we say, and that includes Gene. I mean, we're all in this together. We say some really kind of crazy things. But if you go back and you look at where we started, and Gene was um, being posting blogs and being vocal uh, way back in 2012. We're kind of, well, I've been on since 2013, I think. I don't even know. But to really get into what we were, you know, imagining, okay, call it daydreaming, but daydreaming is a group like, well, what if we do this and what if we do this? And, and, and really concertedly trying to create a fantasy world, a reality world, and what Anelia is saying is that's how you get to manifestation. Um, so when I started to play this stuff through my head, I'm going like, okay, but where? one of the things that she brings into the picture is this concept of each person having a reality and weaving it together so that the storylines mesh together. So if I if we go out there and we say this, that, or the other thing, and then a week later, Anelia comes up and says the same thing, maybe a little different perspective, but basically the same thing. Did we need to say it to begin with? She had it. And my point here is that it's conceivable she never would have gotten there without us, that we never would have gotten there without her. It's the total sum of the amount of energy that's going into the superconsciousness that is taking our daydream and making it real. So I'm, I'm playing with these things in my head, and then uh, somebody posts uh, the uh, David Wilcock video that we all three of us have at least gone through. I, I never did finish it, but we've at least gone through the beginning of it because David is able to take complicated information and make it simpler. Um, and what's he, what he's talking about is the fact that the concept of the Big Bang, which anybody that's in, been studying metaphysics knows the Big Bang just doesn't even make sense. You've got nothing, and then out of nothing, you explode something that is nothing, and you create a universe. What's that about? I mean, it doesn't even make sense. And what he's presenting is the alternative to this crazy-ass fantasy thing, which is the concept that the universe is not empty. <clears throat> it's actually full of what they're terming a superfluid. And the key to a superfluid is it has 0% uh, viscosity. Did I say that right? Correct. Okay. So, Walt, because you are my scientist, <clears throat> you want to expand on that and, and give me your impressions of, of what David was saying? Yes, yeah, as I said to you when we were, um, we were on Skype chatting about this, um, there, since David, that, that's his, the beauty, I mean, he must be a projector because that's his big ability is to take all these pieces of information floating out there and just bringing them together like a jigsaw puzzle to create uh, um, uh, 
a, a big picture of what things are or how they function or what they are. And um, he could have uh, quoted the Seth materials from Jane Roberts because in when a lot of channel material doesn't make sense to people because uh, as you understand, as you see, when uh, somebody is channeling information, the information is coming in as energy, energy patterns and concepts, and the person's intellect is the one who has to make the translation from whatever this is, this this energy that I'm getting, and put words to it. So, and you're no stranger to that, and Gene is no stranger to that. So many uh, channel materials always uh, describe the light this and the light that. But what we call light in the human world, in the 3D world, is an electromagnetic radiation. Of a, like if it, we're talking about visible light, it has a specific frequency range that our optic nerve can pick up and we see, okay, light. You know, we turn on this lamp and we see light. That is not light in universal terms. That's, uh, electromagnetic is a form of electromagnetic radiation. What the higher dimensionals call light is the actual fabric, the, the flesh and blood of the universe, and that's why in, I, th- I believe it, it was in more than one session when Seth spoke of this to, uh, through Jane, he said he corrected the questioner who was asking a question, he said, light does not travel, light is, everything is is light, everything is made of light, and this is the the very substance of the universe, so it's like, uh, imagine like what, you, you're looking at an ocean of water. Well, what happens if you project the the frequency or the state or the condition of very low temperature? All of a sudden, you're going to get uh, icebergs. You're going to get ice. So, wait a minute. Where is this ice coming from? I mean, it's an ocean of water, right? Well, you have changed conditions, and now this shape has precipitated out of the fabric of the ocean. Now you have the shape of ice. And this is the point that uh, David makes in the presentation, is that this fluid is formless, shapeless, it has no mass. But when affected by frequencies, um, I believe the true source of, of things is consciousness. When affected by frequency, by vibrations brought about by consciousness, now all of a sudden the substance precipitates and you and it begins to manifest into form and shape and dimension. And that's where you see uh, the manifested universe come into play. For those that have taken the time to read uh, Eastern esoteric writings, they always make this distinction. They talk about the manifest universe and the unmanifest. There's always that distinction in, in different presentations and treaties. And that's not, and in the, for those that have read, uh, the writings of Paramhansa Yogananda, that's, that's exactly what he says, um, in the, in the Hindu writings, they say that the man, the mind is called manas. That's, that's what the mind is. And it describes it as a liquid. <clears throat> and, when this liquid has little whirlpools, they, they say that's, they use the word vritti, 
and that represents whirlpool. And what happens is because a thought uh, vibrates this fluid, and you now this fluid has a form. So the object of certain techniques of meditation is to calm down all these little whirlpools so the fluid becomes nice and stable and it becomes, and when it's quiet, it turns into a mirror and that's when the soul can see its own face. And that's the beginnings of your self-realization. So this image of a fluid is, it's everywhere. If you have eyes to see. <laughs> I thought it was interesting, too, how he referenced geometry, and the geometry also has a frequency, and, and specifically the, the Star of David, mm-hmm. which is contained in the Seal of Solomon, and also all of the other the other shapes that he referenced. But about, um, the, the Merkaba actually being represented as the center of the universe. Right. Well, that's, that's what, 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 go ahead, Walt. No, no, that's, that's the, the, the beauty of... Uh, of the system, the center of the universe is everywhere. <laughs> Where you might think, okay, the center of the universe must be in this place that's full of galaxies. Well, no, not really. Center of the universe is wherever you are. Because at the, what's, at the, what's at the center of the universe? Consciousness. Are you conscious? Yes. Then you're at the center of the universe. Well, what she's talking about in the geometry of it was the concept that instead of a big bang... What was created was the geometric shape of what we've come to know the Merkaba, which is two tetrahedons that are brought together to create what you see in, if you go over to cosmicreality.net and you hit the current, um, uh, notes page on the, over at the right, the last button, you can go see pictures of this. But when the Tibetans talk about the center of the universe, they're talking about two triangles. It looks like two triangles with, um, you know, the point going up on the one and then the point going down on the other. And then so you've, mer- you, you've separated them enough so that you have uh, the star shape. That Does Colleen put the link to your notes page so people can see the graphics? Oh, actually, I was started to do that, and I don't think I ever dropped it in there. Let me see. Is it there? Yes. <laughs> I just didn't drop it in. Yeah. Uh-huh. Thank you. Well, you know, also in, in just to interject here, in, in my view, it's also the, um, the relationship between the divine masculine and the divine feminine energies. Yes. You want to expand on that? Well, um, well, last year, like you know, I was, I was guided to make, um, a seal of salmon or a merkaba in my backyard. And it was, um, it was request, my, my cat Teddy requested this. And my cat Teddy is lion, he, he was lion energy, very, very strong lion energy. And, um, I, it began as, as something that was very complicated and, and so forth. And I just said, you know what, if you want me to build this, you have to make it simple for me, cause I'm not a, I'm not Walt, I'm not an engineer. And um, it has to be done with materials that are on my property. And so as I was building this thing, I, I, I built the, the circle, the, the perimeter first, and I let it sit. And the next morning when I got up, it was really interesting because there was tons of animal activity in my backyard. There were crows that were squawking. There were blue jays. There were 
Um, the deer had been in my yard. There was all kinds of activity. So I, I knew that something was going on, but I, I didn't really know what. And I, and I find that if I need to know why, I, I eventually find out. But I usually just, just kind of go with the flow and, and do what I'm guided to do. And I, I ended up, um, finishing it. It took me about a week to finish it. And I, I built the Merkaba inside of it. And, um, as I was doing, you know, I, I put organite around it and I put all kinds of stones in there and crystals and all kinds of stuff and, uh, copper piping wrapped in coils and with crystals and stuff. And as I was building it, Teddy would stay with me and my cat Murphy Lee would stay with me and they would follow me around the yard as I went to pick up things. And I realized, well, he told me he, he passed away not soon after I, I finished building it. And um, part of it was to help to um, awaken the nature spirits and to help ground energy into the earth. And it also, I, I realized when I when I could when I consciously connected to it, I received um, a lot of healing energy from it, which was pretty powerful actually. And then um, I just. It kind of, it, it stayed there for about, I don't know, I was, I took it down about, um, maybe about two months ago, but I mean, the energy is still there. It's, it's, you can see it scribed in the, in the ground, but it was all part of, um, kind of laying the groundwork for, for the energies that, that we're having now with the lion's gate opening, opening up and, um, the divine feminine energy coming in as a, as a result of this lion, lion's gate opening up. So it's, it's interesting to watch the progression and the, um, the staging of events that occurs when something big is going to happen on the, you know, when, when something. Did we lose Jane? Jane? Well, I'm here. Oh, okay. Just dropped off for a second. You oh, I, was, I was finished, I think. Oh, 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 oh because okay. you you got cut off in the minute and in the middle of saying when something big is going to happen, and then your voice cut off. Yeah. yeah. Oh, all right. Well, something big did happen, and it's it's um really it started in the middle of June, where a lot of um of the males were were clearing energy in order to pave the way for the, the divine feminine energy. Actually, Jack calls it the Magdalene energy, and he doesn't refer to it as the divine feminine. I'm not sure what the distinction there is and, and why he would use one word over another. But um, So for any males out there that were really not, they were really sick, um, not feeling well during, from the middle of, of June until the end of July, that's why, because they were, they were clearing this energy. And now another wave is coming because the, the lion's gate opened up and now more males may actually start to not feel that great because they're, they're on the second, they're on the second wave of this energy that's helping to ground, um, that's helping to ground this, this Magdalena energy that's coming in now. Um, that, that, uh, I heard something by somebody else regarding, uh, oh, I know what it was, that when we're, oh, I know what it was, okay. They were talking about the, um, 26,000 year progression of the equinox. And the way that they were explaining it was sort of like, a, like it goes 
up and then it comes down. And that when you're on the upward path, it was all male. And now we're about to go down into the the other way, which is all female. Yeah, it's so a it, parabola. That's that's how it's like a it's yeah. a parabola. Yep. 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 So anyway, the back to the Big Bang thing, it was the Merkaba, and as I, I agree with Jean, the combination of male and female, separate but together. And those that particular form, which is represented in the the just the triangle, the triangle mandolin is is a uh, one-dimensional plane, look at it. When you talk in terms of the Merkaba, you're talking about a third dimension version of it with the tetrahedons. When, now he didn't mention this, but I'm, I'm sure this had to have occurred, that when it all started, when, the, when this universe started, I believe that the Merkaba the, was there, but then began to spin. And it was the spinning of the Merkaba that started the vibrational effects that allowed for the beginning of essentially consciousness to start exhibiting itself. And what was dictating what was going to happen? What, who was dictating the storyline? See, it comes back to that storyline concept. In the very beginning, it's okay, so it starts vibrating. And it's like you say, Walt, you need the witness. You need the, the human uh, comprehension, uh, the recognition that this is happening. Well, where did it all start up? That's what I find really fascinating in this concept of... Go ahead, do you have an idea? No, I was just going to say that um, in our linear thinking, we a lot of us, and I have to include myself in this, are always uh, interested or fascinated by the beginnings of things, you know, who thought this up, who thought that up, or how did this start and how did that start? And when they apply that to the universe, it gets kind of weird. <laughs> I mean, you just said how absurd the Big Bang, you know, happens. But it's really, for practical purposes, it's actually a waste of time to sit down and start wondering how the universe started or when did it start. Because you see, the, the universe is disappearing and appearing so many times per second. I think the frequency is like... Uh, it, up in the powers or in the 30 powers. I mean, there's no instrument that can measure the frequency. This this is explained very well in uh, Elizabeth Hayes' book, Initiation, and it's also discussed at length in the Tiberian channelings of Metatron that when you're looking at a solid object, any solid object you look, you know, the computer that you're looking at, a rock in your hand, whatever you're looking at, in actuality, you're actually looking at touching, smelling, actually half of the object. Because the other half of the object isn't here. It's in the unmanifest. It's in the quantum field. And it, it keeps pulsing back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, like the um, like the uh, frames in a picture film. You know, you see the this image on the screen, and you see the people moving on the screen. But in reality, it's all these frames that are passing in front of a light. It's not one fixed, it's, it's not like one constant thing. There is this flashing in front of an eye, uh, in front of a light source 
that's projecting this, these images up on the, on the screen. Um, and the book, uh, because the information in the book by Elizabeth Hage is all coming from like 4,000 years ago. She's actually describing everything she learned from Amenhotep in ancient Egypt. And they knew about the fabric of reality. And explain, and he explained to say that everything that exists has a counterpart because that's the way this reality that this very solid 3D reality that we refer to, that's the way that it works. Any, anything, and everything that exists, every atom that exists, every solid object that exists is actually 50% of the object. The other part of it is not here. It's, it's, it's what's, uh, it flashes in, into this universe and then it flashes out into what would be like the, an anti-matter, matter universe or an anti-universe, whatever you want to call it. So when you think about it, the universe is being created every single second. It never, it'll never, it, it'll never officially end. Maybe the story will end if you will, if you're going to go through the storyline, but, uh, it's been, Created every instant. It's, it never it didn't have a beginning because it's every instant it's it's beginning. Like these physics, that's why the the ancient masters had this ability to transmute their bodies at will and all of that. Because number one, they got rid of whatever unconscious agreements they had about uh, the solidity of their bodies, and by the power of consciousness, they were they could you could go there. I mean, with, you can do it in meditation. If that's the focus of your meditation, you can actually go there. You can actually go and sit at that spot where that flashing is happening, and you and you can see it. Part of it, part of the object is projecting here, and then it projects, it flashes out, and then it comes back, and it's but it's happening at such a tremendous frequency, it's solid. And the mountains are millions of years old, but they're constantly flashing in and out of reality. So, uh, personally, I find this very disturbing. <laughs> I like solidity, you know, uh, this flashing in and out thing is just giving me a strobe-like headache. Um, <laughs> let's, let's go back to the geometry of it because the, what, what people, we can talk about this in theoretical terms, but what I found so compelling about David's work is the fact that he, was bringing up the concept of sand in water and vibration. And that when you want to talk about that, because the concept that just by putting different frequency of sound into uh, water that's got sand in it and having the sand take on various geometric forms is, like, to me, key to understanding what's really working within the mechanism of this superfluid in this case, water, but in the universe, superfluid. And the vibration, well, the vibration is being made by a sound device, but vibration is vibration, whether it's a thought vibration or an electromagnetic vibration or a shungite vibration, magnetic organ vibration. All of those things are based on the same concept of energy and motion following geometry. And the vibrations are spread out throughout the octaves. Exactly. I mean, people say, okay, where does the mansions fit in? It's very simple. Is depending on that the frequency of the vibration, it gets layered like an onion. 
higher dimension, higher vibration, and so on and so forth. So everything fits together very nicely. Uh, and then but, when you get the vibrations down under the speed of light, you have what's the 3D world. Mm-hmm. Everything that's under the speed of light, it looks solid to us. But if you pass on, you transition from a 3D body into the light body, then we can't see you because you're you're working in a frequency that's higher than we're able to perceive, unless you happen to be the Long Island medium, in which case you can perceive it, you know. Now, Gene, uh, go ahead, Walt. No, no, is that, uh, uh, I was going to say, is that, think about it, why would the medium be able to see, you know, somebody who has passed on? Very simple. Because the medium is also living in that dimension where the person has passed on. We are multidimensional beings. We have, our presence is in all the dimensions. There's no, there's, it's not a, it's not a choice. You don't get to choose. You, you are existing in all the dimensions. What happens is that in this solid dimension, we are so convinced that, oh, we are this physical body. We are not an immortal consciousness. We're not an immortal soul. We're not a spirit. and We're just this body. And if this body ends, we, whatever we are, disappears. Well, that conviction, that's what amazing creators that we are. We are so convinced that this is so that we can't see the other dimensions. But you should see them because you're there as well. <laughs> You convince yourself that you're not there, therefore you can't see someone who's passed on and maybe wanting to talk to you before they finally go. Well, when they took um, uh, uh, Caputo to the, um, the Oz show, Dr. Oz, and he put this thing on her head that looked like a bathing cap, a swimming cap, and took readings off of her brain, when she was just there talking to him, Teresa's brain was lit up like a normal brain. Then when she started to, to connect with the other side, you would think, well, it must get brighter. No, it went absolutely dark. Like she might have been brain dead for anybody, you know, based on what the, the science, the measurements were saying. And But that only makes sense because now her focus is all in that higher and than light. And the measurement devices were not calibrated to be able to pick up that energy. Yep. The same thing happened with Anandimoyima in India. Uh, this was a woman who started going into samadhi when she was a little girl. It was perfectly natural for her. And when European scientists went to do uh, ECGs on her, uh, no, sorry, EEGs on her, um, when she was in samadhi, nothing. Like her brain was totally dead. So, it, this, you know, you're thinking, what? Is she brain dead, you know? No, it's not she's she's brain dead, is that she her consciousness is, is not there. It's spread out in in the other dimensions, therefore there's no need for the brain to be busy doing anything. The brain is just a thought pump. It's not your identity, it's not who you are. This concept of let's take this brain and we'll take it from this body and put it in this body and voila, I have full transposition of this person, uh well you're in for a surprise. You you are not your consciousness is not in your brain. The brain is a thought pump. Uh, the, the, the heart pumps blood and generates tremendous amounts of energy, and the, the brain's job is to pump thought. That's why memory is not in the brain either. Memory is in the field of energy of the entire earth. And people say, yeah, but I just had this accident, and I hit my head, and 
I can't remember something I did six years ago. Exactly. Because you just hit a retrieval mechanism. Now the brain can't pump the stuff the way it used to. Therefore, it can't get to that. It's like somebody having a network and you cut off the wire. Now I can't access that server where I put that memory. But the memory is not in the brain. If memory were in the brain, why are you able to remember things from other lives? It's not the same brain, is it? <laughs> well, there's a difference between consciousness and brain activity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jane, you got any thoughts about this, what we're talking about? No, what's blowing my mind? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> well, no, just back to the, the geometry thing. Have you ever heard of Dr. Emoto? Yep. Who did the, who did all the experiments on the, on the water? And, um, he would infuse the water with, um, certain emotions and so forth. And then he would take pictures of the, of the crystals as they manifested. Um, and they were, they were absolutely amazing. Some of the things that, that were created. And you're, you're seeing, uh, I hope people know, a lot of people notice because this gentleman was showing you the underlying reality itself. It's, it's nothing less than showing you under the hood what's going on. And when, when you did that thing on your backyard, uh, even though you weren't 100% aware of what it is that you were doing, you were being guided to do it, it's a very, very simple, elegant principle. You were using the geometries in order to harness, you know, uh, universal energies and universal currents. You didn't need to build a fancy machine. Uh, all you needed was to grasp that geometry and geometric proportion and shape and everything, and you got it. It's like you clicked in. That's why free energy is possible. It's it's there. All everything is there. You just need to know how to access it. And so when you drew that seal, that's it. You access it and you open the door. Okay, let me jump in here for a second because what uh Dr. Emoto would take pictures of water snowflakes, like when, when it would freeze, at the instance that it would freeze. And he was able to get these little crystalline pictures of frozen water. So did you, did you see the the, uh, the documentary how they go about doing it? It was, it was really interesting. I thought, like you said, that it they do it at the moment of freezing. They do it the other way around. <laughs> I saw the the documentary. The documentary at the, the moment it's it's thawing. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. they super freeze it, and then they let it come up very slowly. And then as it begins to, uh, it, they're still under under zero degrees Celsius. You know, water freezes at zero degrees Celsius. So the chamber is still below zero, uh, but the uh, they let it come up in temperature very, very slowly. And the amorphous ice begins to uh, change and it, 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 it generates like a little bump. And they look at the bump under the microscope. And that's when the when it begins to change because of the temperature change, it begins to shape and make that uh, the crystal. That was really fascinating how they did that. No, I haven't exactly seen that one. I saw one. I mean, they use a lot of equipment. It's very expensive. was was very expensive to do. But what was happening was that the crystals in the same water would change depending on 
like they, it was kind of silly things, you know, like uh, hate taped on the on the bottle of one thing and then love on the other, and you get a totally different crystal, even though it was starting from the same medium, the same water. And the difference was was that when that person who put hate wrote out hate and put it on the bottle, that's the energy signature that went into that bottle. Again, proving how powerful the human mind is. Consciousness is. You can't have manifestation without consciousness. Now, it goes to show too, just if you just take a second before you drink a glass of water or eat a meal and you, you take a second to infuse your water or your food with gratitude, love and appreciation, you're gonna, you're gonna transform the whole meal into a higher vibratory state. Indeed. Absolutely. And, and, and it's the same concept goes back to what was, Jean was doing when she made the, uh, the Merkaba there in the, her backyard. Now I had learned, cause I had built so many of these kind of rather big, <laughs> big things, um, that it did not matter what I used or how accurate I was. As long as in my mind I had a picture of what I was building. Because it goes back to the, to Anelia again, that in order to manifest, you have to have a story. So the story is, Jean went out and she put all this together, didn't know, as a matter of fact, wasn't it your son that said, do you know what you're, you're creating the seal of Solomon? Wasn't it him that pointed it out to you? Yeah, it was. I was calling it the crop circle. Right, right, <laughs> right, that's right. And, uh, but in reality, when she took it down, she just took down the story. She had built this in her mind, whether she was consciously creating it or working as a conduit for the watchers or others to put this power geometry in a certain place in her yard in order to be able to, what, run energy. But the story it's was... Her- it's, it's how powerful are your intentions? And then when you follow your intentions up with emotions and and words and actions, it, it makes it even that much more energetic and that much more powerful. Yep, that's exactly you know the key to the key to understanding how you you take control is by knowing that everything that you see manifested had thought behind it. You can't have manifestation without thought. And we as as human beings, especially when we've been in the business as long as we have, trying to make changes in ourselves in order to be able to better facilitate an ability to assist others in changing to the betterment of themselves. Um, And it really is. I mean, it's like that's we go back to that concept of is it important what we do? Sure, it's absolutely important. Because all of those thoughts that, that each one of us, I would think of it sort of like an ocean with a bunch of little, uh, uh, it's choppy ocean and it's got a lot of little waves. And all these waves are individual waves. All of them have individual water particles. And in the case of human beings, they have slightly different perspectives and maybe different storylines. But they're all going to the shore. They're all going to end up on the shore. And I think that the more people that are out there don't give up. I know that it's been hard for so many of us 
to continually try to tell the truth with nobody listening. But it was because we continually told the truth with nobody listening that we built up enough of an energy wave, a new thought form that said, no, all of this is possible. And, of course, because all of this was being hidden from us to begin with, as soon as we started saying, no, it's possible, I'm telling you, this is the way it is, all of a sudden, all of this other stuff started to bubble up, too, because like attracts like, you know? So so you're bringing in all of this like energy, the same energy, and it's getting bigger and bigger and stronger and stronger. So, yeah, there are more and more of us saying the same thing. Slightly different perspective, slightly different storyline. Yeah. But it, so, it fuels the whole it fuels the whole thought process because I know you and I had a little conversation. See Alex Collier live that. on said, video stream. Um, you know, I was kind of whining about you know does it really what I'm doing is it does it really matter because there's you know hundreds of other people that are saying the same thing that Jack's saying they're just saying it a little bit differently and you said exactly what you just said was that it it all goes up into the super consciousness and it all feeds that reality that we're see Alex Collier live on yeah and 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 if if we don't say it maybe nobody says it Maybe well, if they the, didn't say it, we wouldn't say it. We don't know where the limitations are. Who's got the ball? We all, we all are, are holding the same ball and we're all moving in the same direction. And, you know, it, we, every single human being on the face of the earth is here for a purpose. And that purpose is to take the next step into really a reality that makes sense. <laughs> the old reality doesn't even make sense anymore. It might have at one time. But more and more of us are, are, you know, in a in a conscious way, and it started, I think, at the unconscious, saying, no, no, we're not going to go that way anymore. So our storyline is that we use shungite devices to create energy patterns to take over the to take over the satellite system. We make healing sounds so that people can be healed simply by sounds. We've got a device. You put it in the water. The water oxygenates. It gets energized. It has all sorts of miracle stuff in it. You go swim in it, and you're going to feel better than you ever did in your life. We've got all of these things that did not exist, as Anelia points out, until we dreamed them up, and then we manifested them. And now we're getting them out all over the world to be able to have other people say, well, yeah, the Shungite is a gift from Gaia. It does do all this magical stuff. You know, so the more that we put into this storyline, the more we daydream, just like Anelia says. The only way you can get into conscious manifestation is daydreaming. So um, anything else? I mean, you guys got any other thoughts about this? Well, I was going to make a comment to something that Jean said about uh, where you're questioning the work that you're doing because other people are doing something else. <clears throat> I've experienced that because somehow we get uh, uh, an identity attachment to something specific that we're doing. And I could, uh, when I started investigating this thing with the organite, uh, sure, I've met, you know, very many people, some had websites, many did not, that were into this organite thing. Uh, but it didn't, it never dissuaded me because none of them offered what I, what, what I wanted. They didn't offer what I wanted. Their stuff needed to be, uh, you know, put out in the sunlight to be cleansed or it, it, 
if you kept it too long in one place, it would get stagnant and nobody offered what I was looking for. So I decided to make my own stuff, which turned out to be different. And even if what you are doing, for example, let's say, okay, you're doing energy healing and Frank Jordan is doing energy healing. Fine. The, the subject is the same. And at the same time, it's not because if you, I know that it, here in the use in the U.S. is is rare. In Argentina, I grew up with the knowledge of shoemakers, where you, when your shoes get damaged, you go to the shoemaker to fix it up, and you think, well, what's the big deal about it? It is a big deal because in a place where you know two or three shoemakers, you will notice one gets most of the people because he's got such a hand at it that even though he's fixing the same pair of shoes that you've always worn. He does it different because no two human beings can do the same exact thing. Even my uncle who made a, he was a, a luthier. He made a guitars for a living. He says, I cannot, no matter how much effort I put, I cannot make two identical guitars. That alone makes you unique. And that alone makes you priceless in your own state. So even though you are doing energy healing and your neighbor is also doing energy healing and the other one across the road is doing energy healing, they are three unique energy healers. And each has a, and if you had nothing to offer, then you wouldn't be here. I absolutely believe Drumbalo Melchizedek, what he says, and he has said it many times. If the earth doesn't want you, you could be in a bomb-proof bunker 10 miles under the, the ground and something will happen, you will die. <laughs> and if the earth needs you and wants you, you could be standing at the epicenter of a major earthquake and you won't even get a scratch. They'll find you sitting inside a box or something, but you will not per- perish. Uh, yeah, I firmly believe that. So who cares if 10, 100 people are doing what you're doing, you know, getting wisdom, from your watcher friends. So what they're doing is their stuff and it's unique to them. And what you do is your stuff and it's unique to you. No two people can, nobody can duplicate that. So no, you don't need to, your mission doesn't need to be justified. It is perfect the way it is. Well, first off, I don't think anybody else connects to the watchers like Jean does. Do you know anybody else that's talking watchers, Jean? No, and... Bia Lidecker does it. Who? Bia Lidecker, the lady who invented the cure for uh, multiple sclerosis and arthritis. She she does that. She uh, she talks to the animals and gets info from her, but she doesn't publish much of what she gets. She's so focused on the medicine part of her work. She obviously has not run into Jack. Correct. <laughs> And, and well, what, what if that's exactly what we want? Why can't we have all the animals out there to be like Jack and have their owners and friends communicate with them like Jean communicates? Well, hopefully, if anything, there should be more Jacks and there should be more Jeans so that eventually most of humanity it'll be a common thing. You know, you'll see two two ladies meeting in the supermarket. Oh, hi, Marge. Oh, hi, Blanche. So, what did your horse say today? Oh, he was telling me he didn't like that feed I bought himself. He, he totally fixed it for me. He told me how to do something else. And wouldn't we want that, to hear people talking about their animal friends like you they would talk about other human beings? We want more I, I of have, it. I have heard of, um, oh, I can't think of her name, but she has a farm, and she 
is very, she's an animal communicator and she's very much aware that her animals are working for Gaia. And, um, she has a blog. Oh, I wish I could remember her name, but it, it's, um, it's basically the same thing that the watchers are doing. She just hasn't put a label on it. That's all. There you have it. So they, they did not identify themselves to your knowledge, to her as watchers. No. Interesting. How about that for, isn't that something that Jean could do? Do workshops for uh, people that own horses and other animals and want to become active communicators? Why shouldn't other people be able to communicate intelligently with their animals? Jean, is it something that you can teach or is it, is it just you have to have the right animal to, well, well you're talk, you're just talking about communicating with any kind of an animal, right, Walt? Well, you know, not everybody owns horses. Well, <laughs> it's true. Jean, what do you think of that? Oh, you can, you can abs- it it's not like you could take a class on animal communication and then go home and immediately start working with it. It's not, it's not like a modality. What, what happens during a class of that kind is that, um, they download you. They, they, what do you mean they download you? Well, you, you're, because they're in your physical presence, you're affecting their consciousness so that energy knowing that you have would get downloaded into them. So they would start pick, picking them up if they practice, obviously. Exactly. Well, that's exactly right, Walt. They, they learn during the class that they do have the ability to communicate. They have been communicating. Their animals have been communicating with them. It's just basically you're, you're teaching people how to trust themselves and, and trust in their abilities. Get the human out of the way and let the the, the real soul come in. <laughs> exactly. I have. I actually have taught it. I, I'm. I just can't figure out a way to do it in a webinar. I. I only. Um, the class that I taught was um, in person because there's a lot of one-on-one exercises that you need to do with other people, and it would be difficult to do that um, online or over Skype or something like that. Yeah. Let me know if you have any suggestions on that. <laughs> well, well, one of the things you, uh, well, think I, I know that you do it, so others people might be able to do it. I mean, you can communicate with an animal that's not physically present. Oh, oh absolutely, but I mean exercises for people to do, yeah, <laughs> one-on-one with people. Yeah. Well, people are more, much more difficult. <laughs> you know, I mean. You think? Nancy, you think? <laughs> oh wow. Well, um, it's interesting because when I when I did um I had a cl- I had one class and there were two husbands that were drugged to the class and um the wives drugged them there and or dragged them there and um they were the <laughs> ones that got the most information and. They just were so matter-of-fact about being there. They didn't really buy into all the woo-woo stuff or anything like that. And they were the ones that, that really were transformed the most during the class. Now, you got that because you were reading them or because they were openly saying, wow, I get this? They, yeah, you could see the light bulb going on as the class progressed. It was, it was a very, um, it was really interesting for everyone to witness that. 
How many people were in the class? Uh, about 15. Oh, that's a good-sized class. Mm-hmm. But you only did it that one time. Jean, you only did it the one time? No, okay. I did I taught the class quite a few times. I just haven't done it in a long time. Interesting, interesting. Well, we'll think about it because, um, you know, it's something maybe will come up because I know that, that it is very, well, in many ways it's not difficult at all as long as you imagine you're having the conversation. I used to have a roommate, and she'd sit there with a cat, and she would virtually have two sides of the conversation, hers and the cat's. And I sort of sat there and watched it and never doubted that it wasn't a real conversation. You know what I'm saying? It just was too real. Um, but, you know, it's uh, especially, it seems to be easier, I think, Gene, to um, listen to somebody else's animal than your own. Would oh, that-, that is absolutely true. That is absolutely true because... When you are, if you have an emotional uh, attachment to any, any kind of the information that you're receiving, it, it will block you. And, um, you know, if there's something wrong with your animal or they're having, if the animal's having an issue and you desperately want to know what's wrong, you're flooding them with energy. Oh, please tell me what's wrong. Please communicate with me. So you're overwhelming them energetically. You're overwhelming them emotionally and you're overwhelming them with your thought energy so it's it's a very projected kind of thing that you're doing to the animal and there's no way well there's it's very difficult to open up a a receiving channel at that point that's why it's so easy for for like you said to work on other people's animals because you don't have that emotional attachment and that's also why i i I'm so much better at remote work than I am actually in person. If I, um, if I'm at the barn and I want to actually talk to Jack, I will go out to my car or walk 30 feet away from him so I'm not actually in his physical space trying to communicate with him. Because if I'm standing there looking at him, I'm, I'm waiting expectantly for an answer that it probably won't come. That's interesting. Now, do you ever see him walk away from you to send you a message? No, he will. Um, what he'll do is, if he's, if he wants me to receive energy, because if I, when I go to see him, a lot of times we're exchanging energy. I'm giving him energy that I've picked up during the day, and he's giving me energy that that he's picked up during the day. And um, once that exchange is done. He will pin his ears and grind and grind his teeth, and I know it's time for me to leave. So I just I just leave. <laughs> it's kind of rude of him. <laughs> well, it's um, it's if I'm standing there, that's really the only way that he can get his point across. But he gets it across. <laughs> yes, he does. Yes, he does. Excellent. So now, when you first started to work with the animals. Um, it, was that something you picked up as a kid? Was it something you sort of developed after you became an adult? Well, I was, I was born very, very much turned on. And when I was five years old, I was, I was shut off at the, um, I had a, uh, my, my duck was killed. And at that point, um, I very vividly remember now, but not at the time that, um, Archangel Michael touched my forehead and said, you're now going to go to sleep. 
And so from the time I was five until I was 35, I was, I was, you know, a normal person. I, I was married and had kids. I was Girl Scout leader and, you know, just lived my life. I didn't know anything about the etheric realm. I didn't believe in angels or ghosts or any of that stuff. And then, um, when I was going to pick out, um, a golden retriever puppy, boom, I was turned back on again in a moment. And that, that, from that moment on, my, everything that all my abilities just started coming, coming back online. And then I started using them. I learned energy healing and I just practiced and practiced and practiced. And I started meditating and, and working with people and working with animals and, and my abilities just got stronger and stronger and stronger. Well, I hope they're going to be strong after we take a break here. I'm hoping that, um, are you going to want to share the uh, the opening of the Lion Gate with our audience? Oh, yeah. sure. Yeah, we can do that. Okay. And also is, um, well, hopefully we'll get, well, first off, when Jean is on, the watchers are always working with her, and you're all being blasted by a lot of energy that you may or may not feel. But I, from having experienced this for a number of years with these, these guys, um when, when she's on, she's giving you great gift because she's connecting you to watch your energy. So hopefully one of them will um, give us even more. Um, Colleen, I believe that Walt gave you a piece of music, yes? Yes, he did. So we're going to take a, what, a few minutes break, let's put it that this way. This is one of those uh, 432 transposed pieces. Oh, excellent. Well. Oh, it's not Led Zeppelin? <laughs> Ah, oh, you you wish I can get some Led Zeppelin for you. Casimir's my favorite song. <laughs> uh, okay, next time you're on, we'll have Walt uh, put it in four three two, and we'll see what that's like, eh? <laughs> okay, so we'll we'll be we'll be back after the break. Um, thank you so much for participating, and uh, hopefully after the break you'll leave and you will feel really great. But you'll also have some of the secrets that Anelia gave Walt concerning manifestations. Okay, so uh, we'll see you after the music. Thanks so much. We'll be back in five minutes and 24 seconds-ish. Okie doke, we are back. Okay, at least I'm back. <laughs> Walt, you here? Hello. Okay, good. Jean said she had to go check her chickens. <laughs> oh. So, and the bird is, is secured. Yes. Okay, so we're, our birds are taken care of. Um, why don't you um, give us a little background on Anelia and then um, bring us into her manifestation information that I, I, I was actually very impressed with. I thought she she pretty much nailed it. Yeah, and she gave a gigantic clue uh, because... For years, I had done the um, uh, Andrew Bartz's contract revocations because, as uh, I mean, they, they're both on the same page when Enelia explains that the nature of um, the rules of engagement in this reality of this world is that there has to be an agreement. I mean, it's a concept that it's very, very difficult for a lot of people to accept because people say, I never made an agreement to have this cancer. I never made an agreement to have this horrible family. I never made an agreement to have that man 
rape me. I know uh, intellectually it's very difficult to accept such a concept, but that's the thing is that we are not just this waking consciousness. We have multiple levels of consciousness because we are existing in multiple dimensions. So even though consciously I, I never agreed to have this weight issue, guess what? I do have an unconscious agreement to have it. So that's the, to me, that's a super powerful thing to be aware of, that even though consciously you may not agree with something and you never agreed to it, you do have an unconscious agreement to something, some, some condition, some element, some life state, and you're not aware that it's there, and you wonder why, you know, I read all the Abraham books, why can't I manifest what I want? Well, you can't because you have an unconscious agreement that's blocking that from happening. Uh, that's another thing that she explains very well. Uh, many times when people speak of the, the Abraham books and law of attraction, they think that manifesting things in their lives is something that you do once or twice or maybe five times in my life. I've At key times in my life, I've manifested something that was super important to me. Um, that's the stuff that gets, that you paid attention to, but the reality is that you are creating at every moment of every day. You may not be aware of it because most creation is unconscious. And unlike waking consciousness, the unconscious never sleeps. It, it doesn't have an off day. It doesn't have an off switch. It's always on. It's always there. And she said that, uh, she explains that, uh, for the unconscious, there is no, there's no obstacle to manifesting. Manifesting is, is very, very easy because there's no blocks to it. Because what blocks are manifesting things consciously is our belief systems. We have this idea, well, I can't do this because of this. It, it comes back to what you said that she explains that in this reality matrix, there's always that need for a story. We Intellectually, we need to justify why things appear and disappear in our lives. Like she does the example of the table. Okay, you have a table, and you want it to disappear. It would be a very simple matter to have it go back to where it came from. It's just a hologram. It's just a contract of light. But our intellect won't accept that. No, no, it's a solid table. It's made of wood. It's very ancient. You know, it costs so much money. So <laughs> you put it up for sale and somebody comes and buys it and takes it away and voila, you just made the table disappear. So that that whole story of putting it up for sale and somebody taking it away in the pickup truck, that's a story that was needed to keep the mind happy. Okay, now I have a perfect justification why I used to have a table and now it's gone. And the reality of it is you didn't need the story, but... Uh, it's a, um, Dr. Costa had a, something like that happen to him years ago when he was getting ready for uh, to do a, a workshop presentation in his office building. Uh, he he needed a, a bigger a bigger uh, classroom like that other than the space he was renting. So he was able to book one classroom for one day, and he went to see it, and there wasn't any furniture there, and, and he. Immediately he put up the thought, oh, I need a table there. 
and he teaches people on this manifestation business, he says, think what it is you need and forget about it. Have an amnesia attack and just completely let it go, forget about it. Otherwise, it is not going to happen. So he, he said that, oh, I need a table here because I need to do this presentation. And he turned around and left and went back to his office. So that was very well, early. What you said there, I'm sorry to interrupt, but what you said there is key. It's letting it go. Yeah. Because if you <laughs> hang on to it, um, it, it's analogous to, you know, planting a seed and digging in the dirt, you know, every hour to see if it's growing. You have exactly. to just, you just have to just let it be. And that, that is one of the most important things. And the other thing that Anelia said that I thought was really critical was the fact that you have to keep your vibration high. And yep. you have to keep your thoughts integritous and, and enjoy and gratitude and, right. um, you know, your actions. You want to, you want to keep your actions also of high, vi- high vibration and your words of high vi- vibration. It's important that all of these things are congruent. And, um, and the other, like I said, the other most important thing was the thing that you said about letting go. Yeah. So. He, um, so he, he just had that, you know, momentary thought, you know, I need a, I need a desk for this classroom. And that was early in the morning and the workshop was going to be sometime after 12. And before 12, the super of the building comes, knocks on his door and he said, Dr. Costa, were you looking for, uh, a desk or something? And he goes, yeah, why? He says, well, somebody vacated one of the officers in the upper, one of the offices in the upper floor and they left two desks behind. Do you want one? And voila, there you have it. <laughs> he had the desk at the time of uh, of the workshop. Now tell tell the story because well, okay. In in this case, there were at least two people that had their realities weaved together in order to create a story. Dr. Costa and the maintenance guy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, why did the maintenance guy go and find these two tables just when Dr. Costa? You know, it's it's like these this weaving that she also alludes to. Well, she actually talks about. But what I found to be most uh, instructive was your discussion of the roads little traveled and how they are taken back. You know what Which, I'm talking about? Uh, remind me. The the roads that are you know somebody decides to put a road in but then nobody uses. Oh yeah, he um. He, he did a, as an illustration to prove his point when he was talking about how it's consciousness that creates reality. He used uh, um, the example of uh, uh, what do you call this? When when roads get paved in asphalt, and yes, and if you're in the middle of a, a big city with tons of traffic, you know roads suffer wear and tear, and that's logical, you know, due to traffic and vibration and everything else on the the elements but for example uh, roads that are paved and made in areas remote areas where you'll have little traffic or just the people that live there he says if you pay attention he says if for whatever reason the road gets abandoned nobody uses it anymore because you know people left or whatever the circumstances are he says you'll see the the road begins to disintegrate and it goes back to nature because the consciousness that kept it there isn't there anymore and you'll have weeds growing and, you know, breaking through the asphalt where before you had, you know, two, three years there weren't any weeds. Now all of a sudden, now you have plants breaking through the asphalt 
as it disintegrates. And he says, because the consciousness, though, that made the road be there isn't there anymore. People have forgotten it. And so the, the road begins to disintegrate and it goes back to nature. So he, he used that as a, one of his illustrations to explain, you know, how things are created by the sheer consciousness. The same thing happens in a home. When, if a home is abandoned or there's no one living in it and that, that the energy of the people and, and, um, whoever else lives in the home is no longer there, the same thing starts to happen. The, the paint starts to peel off the wall and the, and the house starts to, um, it starts to die from the inside out. Oh, I, I, I would like to use your example to illustrate the other point that you made about keeping the vibrations high. You, when you have a group of a person or a group of people living in a home and they have the most, the lowest, most horrible vibration, you see the house disintegrating as if it were empty. Have you noticed that? Like drug dens, for example, or meth dens. Oh, or, yeah, you're absolutely <laughs> right. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. You, um, the house looks like it's abandoned and there's actually people living there, but they are such a low, such a low vibration. They're actually everything, everything matches the house and the people. <laughs> Jean, do you want to um can you guys hear me because yes, newbie, newbie has gotten up on my lap and he's not gonna go anywhere apparently well actually he's, he's in hey newbie he's in my face um the, what i would like i what i really want to know understand is what you mean when you talk in terms of the watchers running energy what is it that you perceive is happening? It it comes in a variety of ways. It comes through um, the vibration of color. It comes through the vibration of sound. Um, sometimes I can see it. Sometimes I can feel it. Sometimes it comes as music. Um, sometimes it it it's almost as though um, I can see my entire energy field is electrified. Or if I'm looking at one of my cats. And I know that they're charging a message or they're sending, you know, you've, you've received energy from my cats and I can actually see them sending energy through the computer in, in the form of color. Sometimes, like I said, sometimes I can hear it and sometimes I can see it. So that's basically how they're, they're, um, they're sending the energy. Now, are they channeling the energy or are they actually giving up their own energy how do you perceive that the, where's the, where's the source of that energy i don't know where the source is from i would imagine it comes from different sources but um it it emanates from above sometimes so i can see it coming into like their crown chakra and then it emanates it almost always emanates out their heart chakras and sometimes it comes in from their feet in from gaia and then it channels out from the heart now, when you're running energy, when you're doing energy work on an animal or, or a person, where do you feel the source of your energy is? It's not my energy. All that, all I do is I connect them to Gaia, and then Gaia takes over. So it's not so much my energy. And how I how I'm able to 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 tap into somebody is because I'm I'm empathic. That's my strongest. Um, that's my my strongest suit that I have is is my empathy. So I can feel 
what they're experiencing, and then I can I act as a commentator and, and let them know what's going on. So you're 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 not projecting anything. You're just watching it. Yeah, I'm an I'm an observer. Oh, okay. we're back. We're back. Yay! You f- you froze. We didn't hear your answer to Nancy's question. Well, we heard part of it. I was asked. My question to you was originally was that um, where you were getting the energy, and you said it was from Gaia. And then yeah, it's from we, it's from Gaia. Yeah, and then we spoke of um, that you're acting like an observer. You're seeing what's happening because Correct. when when you when you were reading me. And, you know, I'd go like, oh, my God, my elbow hurts. And all of a sudden you'd say, your elbow might be hurting. <laughs> you know? And it was like, is she is she projecting that or is she just reading me? And it happened, oh, dozens of times. And I meant to ask you, you know, what, what you were seeing. Were you seeing or feeling or, or, you know, so you're, and basically you're just observing. You're seeing the body in your mind. No, I'm actually feeling it. I'm actually feeling your energy. Nine times out of ten, it, it's it's through an empathic connection. Sometimes I will get visual images, and um, sometimes I'll feel things. Sometimes I'll smell things. Sometimes I'll even taste things. Um, but most of the time, it comes just through an empathic connection. Interesting. Um, when I was when we had the break, I, I went outside, and we've been having thunderstorms all day today. And the sky, it looks yellow outside, golden yellow. It, it, it was, um, it was pretty incredible. And even when I looked up at the sky, the way the, the, the clouds were and, and so forth, it, it just had this golden yellow wash all up in the sky. It was beautiful. <clears throat> well, I've got one of the, uh, Shungite bricks here that was, the gold was put into. Sitting right here by the computer. Tell us that story. Well, the story starts with, with, with um, we we got this big uh, delivery of shungite, and I mean, I'm talking like some of these bricks are way over five pounds, and it was almost 200 pounds of shungite. So we brought them out into the ten boxes, and nine boxes went in the back. One box had already gotten wet and opened up, and so we just pushed it on over in the corners of the porch with the rest of the shungite that lives there. And uh, we took the rest of it out in the back, and we made a bed out of it. It's it's the size of a twin bed, basically, um, but not much more than a two layers or one layer of these bricks, but it's really pretty cool. But the weird thing about it was it was in the mid, it's sort of in the middle of the traffic, you know, where people would be walking around the yard. And it's also close to the septic tank. And um, I was like, why are we putting it here? And I looked at Stephanie and she says, no, nope, no, nope, it's supposed to go there. So I said, okay, so that's what we do. So then a couple of nights later, I don't know, it, was, it must have been 10 o'clock or something, um, I get this email from Jean who has just come back from Canada. And Jean, you ought to tell us about your Canada trip. And um, she gets getting back, and she says that um, there's something about the lion's gate's going to open up, and you need to to do something with some shungite. And she doesn't know what she's talking about. No, I was in the car. You were still in the car, yeah. I was in the car when I was on, because um, I, I, I Facebooked you right out, right when I was at Binghamton, New York. 
And that's when, um, cause when I was up in Canada, I, I had, I didn't, I, I told you, I didn't think about any of my animals or anything for that the entire time I was up there. And when I, when I got to just about Binghamton, New York, um, all of a sudden I felt Jack and I felt, uh, lion energy and I, I get, I have to, I have to get in touch with Nancy right now. So I, I Facebooked you. And then when I got home later, I sent you another message about the, um, the Magdalena energy and the lion's gate. Right, but you were looking for some place they were supposed to be with Shungite, and you didn't really know what you were talking about because you didn't know about this pile out there. Oh, no, and that's when you sent me the picture. I sent you a picture of what was out there, and you went, yes, exactly. Now, I'm sitting in here, and I can feel a crowd. You said Jack, and and, and you named Teddy. Everybody was, was out there. And I could feel a crowd out there, but normally I get more than, oh, it's happening now. Um, for any major energy, you know, transfer or grounding. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, is this happening now? So I messaged you, is this, you know, is this <laughs> supposed to be immediately? But then I got preoccupied trying to answer uh, uh, an email with somebody that's got a problem and needs help. And then I realized that you had answered me back and you said, it's already done. So I said, oh, okay, maybe I better go out there and see what happened. And so I... And, and this pile is not that far from the house. It's only about 20 feet from the house. So I walk out there, and I'm I'm just, I'm not 10 feet from the house when I realize I can't see anything. It is so black out there that, I mean, there, the house should have been putting out enough light. Never mind that normally you can see way back deep in the yard, but it was just very, very black. I mean, like like no light, like vortex kind of thing. And it was about 20 feet in diameter. It did surround the um, the Shungite. Well, I think it did. <laughs> it was in the area because I couldn't see anything. I, all I could see was this this very dark sphere-like thing that I wished I had looked up. I did not look up to see how high it went. I just looked, you know, towards the back of the yard. Only I never saw anything except black. And uh, I decided that, well, I didn't seem to have been invited, so I'm going <laughs> to... Go into the house and I'll see this thing in the morning because I seriously couldn't see. Um, and then that's the next day I went out and I looked at it and, and the the golden energy that's attached to this shungite is so intense that you can virtually see it in the 3D. So that's one of the pieces I did bring in and I I do have you guys stuff. So. Um, I have a question. What, what was behind the energy, Jean? It, you know, it's the Magdalene energy. So there's there's a there's a triad that comprises the divine feminine energy: the, the lion, the rhino, and the elephant. And we we just witnessed the infusion of the lion's energy, the golden ray. And that's what the that's what the gold energy is. And now that, you, ta- you talked about this in your first post that Jack ever put up. Uh, I think it, it was, it wasn't the first, but it, it was, um, one of the, one of the first posts. It was probably like the second or third one. It had to have been at least the second or, because I, I was there for, I think, the second one. So, no, the third one. I was there, you had three up when I found you. And that was, um, that was one of the most moving, uh, posts that I've ever read, ever. Um, that's what brought me to the point of, you know, desperately trying to contact with Jack 
on Facebook. And those that want to contact with Jack on Facebook, it's Jack the Watcher on Facebook. Um, I didn't have that, and so I couldn't find him. Because there's a lot of Jacks, if that's all you're putting in. Jack Horse, you know, what, what is this? Um, but Jack the Watcher is the key. Um, and I just was so impressed. And when you were talking about the line, I'm going... Was the I, I didn't make the connection back all there to that's what you were talking about, I, uh, you know. But go on, please. It, it's an interesting story because that was a lot of years ago. Well, that's really that's really you know it's it's it all these things are a process and it's it's a series of events that make up the process. So part of it part of the groundwork was the seal of solomon that i that i put in my backyard and then there's a, a bunch of other people that are that are also doing things at the same time it's the synchronicities that that you and walt have that you and i have that that walt and i have and that all of us have that um are are participating in this whole process so it it takes some linear time but when you look back on it you can you can see the um the culmination of everything and how it how it really plays out and you and I've realized that things that I've done a year ago or two years ago or messages that that came out previously were were all part of this process that we're experiencing now. Now I, I wanted to mention too that that a real big part of it was uh, Cecil the Lion passing away. That was very significant. Um, because he was, he's also playing a part in um, the Lionsgate opening up as well. Because his death uh, preceded that by a, a couple of. I think he died on August first, if I'm if I'm correct. And now, that was right was after. This? You said Cecil the Lion. I know nothing. Cecil the Lion was this lion in Africa that um, I believe Cambridge University had been studying for a very long time. He's, he was on an animal preserve. And what happened was that he was lured out of the the preserve, and he was shot by a dentist of all things. So he was. I I, I think I'm. I don't quote me on this, but I believe he was shot with an arrow first, and um, the next day when he I I don't think he was he was deceased at that point. He was shot at that point and killed. And then this dentist posted on his Facebook. Um, that he had killed this lion, and it just erupted. I mean, ev- everyone just absolutely went into an eruption about this this lion being killed. But it he did not. This lion did not die in vain. It was not. Um, it was a, a a horrible thing that occurred. But it was um, it was all timed, and it and he's playing a part in the Lion's Gate opening, and. It, it's, um, I'm kind of ashamed to, to say that it was a dentist because it, it puts a mark on, on my profession, but, um, it, it all had a purpose. And believe me, animals will not be drawn out into the open. Um, he knew what was happening and he knew that it was his time to go. And a lot of, a lot of good is going to come out of this for all of the animals. Well, especially being that Walt just messaged the dentist paid $50,000 to do it. You know, this is the insanity of it. Um, I'll tell you a story. My, I worked for um, a company that made grenade launchers. And the man who owned the company, I won't give his name, um, was involved with black ops for decades. He was so wealthy, he had a 
pilot in a, in his own aircraft, his own jet plane, on ready to go at any time. Uh, he had many, many businesses, multiple. I don't even know how much money the guy had. Not very, a lot of property. So he decides he's going to go to Alaska to shoot a bear. And he goes up there, and it costs, through screwy stuff, you know, pretty near, I don't know, it was at least $750,000 to make this trip. And it rained the whole time he was there, so he comes back. Now, the guy at that point was probably 73. He had been on a uh, vehicle that crashed, and he was very fortunate to have survived. He even broke his back, he survived that too. But he's got to kill this bear. So the first trip cost him a bunch of money. He didn't get the bear. And I'm sitting there and I'm going like, don't kill the bear. Do not, don't, this is about the worst thing that you can possibly do. God did not save you from an accident in order for you to kill a bear. But no, he books another trip. I don't know how much money he spent on that one. He kills the bear. Within months, within months, he started losing every single business he had. And God only knows how many things I didn't even know about. People started suing him. He had to start suing people. I lost my job because they bottomed up. I mean, it's like people that go out and do this in this new reality are incurring just an unbelievable amount of karma. And that's because so many people just cannot handle the separation in the way that human beings um, see themselves as separated from nature in all forms, but particularly the animals. And when you have more and more people who are coming to an emotional meltdown because of stories like this, the amount of emotion feeds the unconsciousness of humanity and of all nature, and so the next time it happens, there's that much more energy saying no, no, no. And, um, yes, yeah, Cecil, Cecil, by the death of one lion, um, created a tremendous amount of energy that fed the, through compassion and empathy, um, into the super consciousness of Gaia herself. Perhaps that is where the golden ray source is. That that's a very that's a very good um, point. You may you may absolutely be correct on that. Because without that without that empathy and compassion feeding the ray, um, it may not have manifested with the power that it has. Because I will attest that we've done a lot of energy work together and, and this this stuff is is pretty intense. Yeah, yeah, the energies have been, Newbie just said hi. The energies have been intense for quite a while, a couple of weeks for sure. But they're going to continue to be intense. And, and, but as our bodies, um, get stronger and more acclimated to the energies, it's going to be easier and easier for us to assimilate and acclimate the energy. I'm sorry, I'm here. I had to put him down, give him some food. He he was starting to lick my face, and I said, no, this is not going to work. <laughs> uh, thank you for that, Jean. Walt, what are you thinking? 
I was thinking that um, what Gene is explaining about the uh, acclimating to these new energies, uh, the synchronicity of how everything fits into everything, that uh, the changes that I started experiencing after I read Enelia's uh, information is I I used my my dowsing ability on the pendulum and started asking questions regarding my unconscious agreements. You know, so I asked the question: Do I have an unconscious agreement against having abundance and wealth? Yes. <laughs> okay. So I had to get on the job and, and and dissolve that. And as I started asking questions about myself, do I have an unconscious agreement? On this belief system for this, yes, okay, something else. So I started making my own list of things to get rid of, and then after I do the cancellation of that, you know, again, check myself, do I have any unconscious agreements for blah, 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 and then if it's still there, you get a yes, if it's gone, you get a no, and I think that's why you perceived such a change in me. I I did like a, I found six unconscious agreements with belief systems that were no good for me at all. And I worked at getting rid of it. So all of that, all of those unconscious agreements that are no good for you are blockages. And it's like, like ballast on a balloon. And that's the, the luggage we have to get rid of if we want to. Well, Anelia says the first step is to realize we have these unconscious connections. Yeah. And, and also the, it's it's so simple that I I it's I guess it's part of human psychology that by default people want to equate powerful things with complexity. You know, this is such a powerful thing; it's like super complex. It'll take you three hours to do this, right? And and the opposite is true. The most powerful techniques are so elegant and so simple. You're like, what? This? Like, yes, this. Works exactly like that. And she gives a very simple, powerful technique is at every moment, you know, obviously if you're not focused on doing something, like if you're not focused writing a letter or if, you, if you're just, whatever, when I got put on hold is that the very simple practice that she gives is at every moment, you know, when, when you don't have to focus on anything in particular and you're not talking to somebody else, just catch yourself and ask, what am I manifesting now? And like you could be washing dishes, making the food, sitting down to read something, and you could just catch yourself. What am I manifesting now? And you pay attention, and it, it lets you catch what kind of thoughts you're entertaining, and what kind of feelings you're entertaining. And you can literally switch your vibration right then and there. Like if you're entertaining thoughts like bad memories or negative memories or something of some drama somewhere somehow, uh, that's actually. Uh, you're, you're projecting that and you're manifesting uh, uncomfortable, nasty things and you don't even realize that you're doing it. So, okay, what, what I've learned about that is, first off, most people get into it, they don't even realize they're getting into it, okay? Mm-hmm. So the first thing they have to do is they have to program themselves that every time they go into that kind of thinking, that something happens. They hear a buzz, they get stopped, they, something interrupts that, that thinking pattern. Because just to say it is one thing, but you really have to work to get a mech. Remember, you're you're saying to the universe, no, I'm not going to blame my husband, my job, or the the federal government. I am in charge. I take control. 
And at that moment, then you can put out a frequency that will create a story, okay? But the story that you want to create is that you want to get control of those unconscious thoughts that bubble up into consciousness. It's programming that is in control of you. So not only are you not going to listen to to, to blame everybody else, you're not going to be able to blame your own thinking anymore because you have got to go inside your own brain and say, look it, every time this thing goes into a negative, I have it happen to me now. I mean, it took a long time. But now, if, if something neg negative comes through my mind, man, as fast as it comes in, it is gone. But there were times where I'd be, oh, my God, how long have I been thinking about being fearful of this, that, or the other thing? Uh, I have a funny anecdote on that. Okay. <laughs> uh, the, the concept that you're relaying, the, the first time I heard that was during the uh, back, back in 2005 with those uh, the 15-step workshop that Dr. Costa used to give. And he's the he from him is that I under I first heard this concept that we all have groups of guys that work with us. So he explained to the people in the in the workshop that you can your guides can because a lot of people didn't get this concept, so what can they do for me? So he gave an illustration, and he says, well, you can ask your guides, if you're concerned about something that you do, or some behavior, or some habit, or something that you do that you want to get rid of, you can ask your guides to give you signs or pointers. Like you could ask your guide that you want to, I want to hear a gong if I'm going to be about doing this, or if I'm in danger. So some kind of sign. So this one lady in the group, um, she was prone to making bad decisions for herself and she wanted to catch her but she could never catch herself making a bad decision because she didn't know how to go about it so during the, the session uh, the, the workshop is broken up in such a way that on the first day the men guide the women and then on the second day the, the women guide the men so during her uh, her turn she asked of her guides that every time she was about to make a bad decision, she wanted something that will totally get her attention. She wanted to smell pig shit. This is what she actually requested because she was sick and tired of putting her foot in it and she wanted something that would literally grab her attention. So after the workshop was over, we would about maybe once a week or once every two weeks we would gather and share pointers and maybe we would guide each other. Some people had questions. So somebody <laughs> asked, so what happened with your request? She says, don't talk to me about it. Why? What's going on? She says, it's hard to go ahead. She says, every single day, at some point in the day, I have to end up smelling thick shit. <laughs> and that's how her guys were telling it. You're about to put your foot in it again. You're about to make another. So... It was, you know, be careful what kind of pointer or what kind of sign you ask for. You may, it may turn out to be kind of uncomfortable for you. But that's, they will help you that way if that's the kind of help you're looking for. Okay. Um, I want to I wanna cover this um, uh, story that Jean came up with because I want to, if we've got time, tie it in with something that you and I had happen to us today. So, Jean, can you um, please share with with all of us the story regarding um, the how you ended up getting into the super soldier uh, arena? Let's put it that way. Nancy, I just want to interject. If you guys need to go over a little bit, that's fine. 
Okay. Yay. Yay, because we may have to. Thank okay. you. You're welcome. Jane? Okay, well, first, I just wanted to say real quick about what Wall was talking about. Um, if you, if you, a few times a day, if you just stop what you're doing and you say, all right, I'm, I'm Gene Rockefeller and you look at the time and you say, all right, it's, it's 8.50 at night and I'm on the, I'm on the radio with Walt and Nancy and I'm having a wonderful time. And if you, you just, that brings your, your awareness into the present moment and it stops all of that chatter in your head and allows you to become present and mindful of the thoughts that you're projecting. So well, that's little, really good. Little tool there. Okay, so um, I had a client today, and he had an, I had an extraordinary session with him, and I did ask his permission to share this story um, because I would never I would never speak about anything that occurs during a session that would be a violation of ethics and so forth. And I did get his permission to to talk about this, but um, very. Very early on in the session, probably the first 10 minutes or so, um, I saw this archetype of a super soldier. And how it appeared in my mind's eye was a, um, uh, it looked like Wesley Snipes with uh, bleached hair. And he had a big gun and he was big and burly and, and um, very muscular. And he also had a scope over, it almost looked like a, um, like a cyborg um, thing, he had a scope over his one eye, and I and I kept on hearing he's a super soldier, he's a super soldier, and I thought, all right, you know what, I'm going to just put the brakes on right there because I don't know anything about super soldiers. I don't want to go there. I don't want to. Let's just you know put up a perimeter, and you know I immediately felt like I needed to go into a pr- protective mode, and I I um. And the client said, hold on a minute, I, I, this kind of, this is resonating with me. Can we, can we talk about this? And I, I kind of checked with myself and I said, you know what? I'm not nervous. I'm not scared. I don't feel like I need to not go here. And, um, I, I, I always set the intention that anything that occurs during a session, I can handle. So I, I would never get something that I, that I can't deal with. So, um, as I pursued this a little bit more, I was getting that, from the age of five until the, and the man was 53 years old, from the age of five until the age of 47, he was a super soldier working, um, interdimensionally. And, um, he confirmed this for me because he said when he was five years old, um, he went from, he, he knew that, uh, some kind of switch, something had been switched in him very, very abruptly. And he went from being a very carefree child to um, very serious and very withdrawn and and very much um, into himself. And we worked a lot with this, you know, just what was happening. And, And as the session progressed, he started to get a little bit more information about it. But it was something that he was, he became um, very much aware of that, it, it all kind of made sense, but it, yet at the same time, it was not in his quote unquote consciousness or his reality that he knew of. So I'm, I'm hoping that he'll be able to explore this a little bit more because I, I have never encountered anything like this. I'd never heard of anything like this. I mean, I'd heard the term super soldier, but I, I had no idea what it meant or what it was. So this was all kind of, um, bizarre to me. And, um, very, 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 um, it was, um, it was a, an honor actually to work with him because he's been fighting, you know, fighting for the planet 
but not doing it in a, in a conscious way. Is he military or ex-military? He is military. Yeah, he is ex-military. Yes. Well, what what what's um, inter- well, the whole thing is interesting. Actually, he was in the army and the navy, which I I didn't even know that was possible, but he was in both. Um, that makes sense because the navy is where the super soldiers are being pulled from, basically most of them. The best I can figure. The Navy is, is the Navy is the dirty side of the military. Um, my opinion, based on a lot of things, but what is really interesting, Gene, because you don't know the rest of the story. You called me this morning and you told me that you'd had this uh, session, and um, you know, did I think that it would be something that we should talk about on the radio? And um, yeah, it sounded good to me, so. But then I get off the phone with you a couple of hours later, Walt calls. And Walt says, I had a lucid dream last night that I want you to check out and see what it might mean. And, uh, Walt, you want to tell the dream? Uh, no, you can tell it. Uh, it's, it, like, I think it, I want to, I want you to describe it the way that you understood it because as I was relaying it, you were, uh, scanning this or remote viewing it. Well, I can't remote view a lucid dream. Oh, okay. okay. That's, that's, that's in your head. Oh. All I can do is try to connect with, um, Gaia to find out what, to interpret what you're seeing, what you're telling me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, when you do a shamanic journey, you've actually gone someplace and I can go there remotely. Mm-hmm. When you're in a, a lucid dream state, that that's your your mind. I can't get inside your head. Sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, okay. Well, he started. He he showed me a drawing, and I I didn't really think about doing this, so it's not up on the page, but I I will put it up. But it was a um, the, the dream is is complicated. How he ends up getting to where he gets. But he is doing his normal dream sequence things of fixing computers. And he's got to find some compressed air. So he goes into this room. And when he walks in the room, he says to whoever's there, I need some compressed air. They don't have anything in the other shop. And then he gets, he notices that on one wall, there are a series of devices hanging there. I, I, in the way that I saw it, Walt, was something almost like a, a bunch of gun racks. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. okay, so it's a bunch of gun racks, but the device that's on it is the size of, a, of an old-fashioned crutch, you know, the wooden ones, the under-your-armpit under your ones, not, not these new things they got. And that's about how big they were. And the contraption itself was all metal, and it had a one end was like um, like a gun barrel with a uh, small suppressor on it, and then it went through what looked like a little bit of a, uh, a, a saucer, a flying saucer thing. Then it is a he he explained it as like a five gallon bottle of water that was crushed. So that if you looked at it one way, it'd be looking flat, but then you'd look at it and it would look big. So it, but it was crushed. It wasn't, it wasn't, you know, 3D. It was all basically in a, in a one plane kind of thing. And then there was another, uh, tube 
that came out of it. So he shows me the picture. He drew the picture right when he got up. Well, actually, you said that you had to call me because you couldn't even do a shamanic journey because you couldn't get this thing out of your head. Yeah, I keep seeing the image all day long. Right. So he's showing me the picture, and I, like, really focus on the picture. And then I, I get, I sort of, like, actually did see a 3D version of it. Now, that's because there is a 3D version of it. When um, I needed to go remote view some piece of equipment, I may not know where I'm going, but they would give me a picture of the piece of equipment, and I would just focus on the image until the image itself would take me to wherever the real thing was, because, again, it's frequency. I'm just following frequency. Okay, I've got the I've got the I've got the guide map here. Okay, guide map. Find find the real thing, and so um, that's what happened. And I, lo and behold, there's a an actual 3D uh, real thing that he's he's talking about. So now I'm confused because well, I wasn't confused initially because I'd forgotten he had told me it was this big thing because what I'm seeing is very small. And so then I I. I went back to Walt and I said, okay, Walt, you know, and I asked him some questions because now I've got a real picture of what this thing is. And um, I said, well, well, what happened to him was that when he noticed this, somebody took one of these things off of the wall and started pointing it at him as if it was the barrel with the little suppressor on it. But he couldn't see a barrel. It was solid. But they're pointing it at him, and he's putting his hand up in front of himself, trying to stop whatever it is. But he also said he did not detect any kind of field coming off of it. So what happened was that, um, and then the dream goes on some more, but we don't seem to have the information that we need to uh, interpret that part of it yet. But this device is very interesting. It ties in with what Gene's been talking about. So I'm looking at this thing, um, I get the answers, and, I, and, and it was sort of like splitting my, my I had my mind on the, uh, on the device, and I got my brain asking him questions so that I can compare it, and all of a sudden I was like, oh God, I could, I, 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 it was, it was like all of a sudden the scene that I'm looking at, which is just analyzing this device, turned into a video, and what I'm seeing is the device being used on a human, in order to reprogram them in like, you know, super duper futuristic M MK Ultra. And basically what they're doing is that they're putting in an entire subprogram into the brain that is um been told it's the default system. So the memories, the actual memories of a super soldier that's being brainwashed, wiped as they say, um, is still there. But they add this this other fantasy world that becomes the default program that they go, you know, they walk out of there and they're going like, oh, yeah, okay, I, yeah, yeah, I got this, you know. But it's a totally fantastic reality that doesn't didn't exist for them. Now, what I found so intriguing in, in my own brain, because I love the way... I watched my own brain work. Um, when I realized what this thing was, I immediately, my brain clicked in and said, uh-oh, uh-oh, be careful. You just had a conversation with Gene about a super soldier. 
are you projecting this? Is this a is this a real story, or are you putting on your imagination and your daydreaming? And, is it, and my my head started just like spinning about you know trying to analyze this thing. And finally, I said to Walt, I said, I'm trying to get my brain out. I'm just going to tell you what I see. And so I did. And um, but because now I'm I'm into just getting my head out of it and just you know letting the information come through. When what happened, I think, Gene, is that this person who came to you is somehow connected to Walt. I don't know if it's a, another version of Walt that's in the super civilization because we can have simultaneous incarnations, or if it is a um, a soulmate, somebody who is on the same mission and was destined to, in some way, interact. But Walt had the dream the night before you had the session. And the connecting point... Can I just, I just want to add one thing that was kind of... There, there's a couple of things that um, you mentioned. One is, when I asked him how he found out about me, he said he just found my website at like out of nowhere just a couple of days ago. And, um, and you know, contacted me you know, as soon as he found it, he said, I, I, I just had this feeling that I had to connect to you. And the other thing was that you, you, um, sparked my memory. He, I very much picked up on him that all of the, all of the memories and all of the programming that he had that was imprinted within him was not his. It was almost as though, um, I, I described it to him as the baby that is in the body that his soul is in, they were exchanged. So in other words, um, somebody, there, another soul came into um, his body as a baby, and then he came in a little bit later. They were exchanged. And um, he actually confirmed that for me, too, and I thought that was another uh, interesting thing that was very unique about him. Oh, Andrew Bartz speaks about that. He, the This is a situation that happened to a lady where she had two miscarriages and finally the third baby stayed and uh, the the baby turned out to be a very unique little girl and the things, the way she expressed and the things she was able to do. And Andrew Bartz has explained that what happened is the system, you know, the system of control and domination doesn't want certain souls to incarnate because they are too powerful and they can make tremendous changes in the reality. She said, he explained so they have this technique where they'll, uh, any regular Joe soul, you know, not, you know, too super controllable, malleable soul incarnates. Uh, he's like the placeholder so that the baby can form and be born normally. So once the baby is born normally, he leaves and the true soul that's supposed to have that incarnation comes in. It's a very fast thing and it happens shortly after the baby is breathing and, you know, the body is living outside of the mother. And he says that's how they can smuggle the true souls into the planet because the system is looking out for certain markers and frequencies and will not allow certain souls to incarnate. They're too powerful and they can, you know, smash up the system or whatever. And not to brag here, but as you're saying this to me, I'm like, oh, shit, that's what happened to me. <laughs> I'm saying the same thing. <laughs> I, I, that does not surprise me. Probably everybody yeah, listening here. I'm thinking here. the same thing. Yeah, and I, I've had visions of that before, but I didn't quite understand it. And just as Walt was was speaking about that, and I'm like, damn, that that happened to me. 
That may have happened when, when I was five years old and I was turned off. It mm. may have, the switch may have occurred then. That's why Nancy can remember her past lives so clearly. Right, especially Patton's. Mm -hmm. Because Patton on his deathbed is supposedly had said, I will remember. You know, and you know, I, and I think about it and I think, th just, just think of, you know, you've got George Patton living at the same time that John Kennedy's living. And they're simultaneously be being projected by the same soul. Okay, Patton is like the ultimate general. And we know that Kennedy became the ultimate leader in many ways. But what the hell was there before that that projected those two? I mean, th there had to have been somebody that was so in the know that they were able to project future beings that together could have made a massive difference in the world and did in, in both cases. But then, they, 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 but then they got together and projected me. <laughs> no, not all characters are public figures that we can look up paper records. No, that's the beauty of it. <laughs> is that every single one of us, you know, forget the, the bloodline genealogy. The incarnation genealogy is much more interesting because you can have simultaneous incarnations. Yep. And if you haven't read Cosmic Reality, this is confusing, but I explain it in Cosmic Yeah, I told you about Dr. Costa's case of that lady. Uh, he was able to help the lady uh, leave, um, um, uh, what is, what's this country? Oh, Syria. He was a, uh, he had this case, this woman came to him because the woman kept having, I mean, she was a middle aged, never been married, never had children, but she kept having this, this desperate feeling that she needed to save her daughter and needed to save her daughter and she, she just wanted to run somewhere and she didn't understand where this was coming from. I mean, it was so intense. She was starting to feel that she was possessed or something. So Dr. Costa puts her under and discovers that she's got a simultaneous incarnation with a, an Arab woman in, in Syria who was in an abusive relationship and she has a little girl and she wants to leave the country with a, with a girl, you know, before she gets, you know, killed or or they take the child away she was trying to stay away uh, she was hidden from the man that she was forced to marry so he starts getting the information from her because he puts her under the uh, he's doing the 15th step with her and she's getting the information from her guides so I think she contacted somebody in state department or something but she was able to she actually traveled there and was able to get documentation, and she was able to get the woman out of the country and dropped her off, I think, in, in England or someplace. But it was a, a, a truly remarkable case where she got to meet, you know. And I said to him, well, are simultaneous incarnations supposed to meet each other? And he says, no, they're not supposed to meet because they'll get in each other's way. So this was a very, this was a, a, a an exceptional case just for that. Well, maybe you shouldn't meet this guy that Gene said. <laughs> um, anyway, to me, this this is the kind of weaving together of a story that Anelia talks about. 
And um, I highly recommend that you do go to CosmicReality.net, click on the current show or in Cosmic Reality blog, today's date, which is uh, August 11th, um, and, and just go there and <laughs> look at what Anelia is saying and um, play the MP3. Now, she is selling that, but she also said that she wanted us to give it away free. So as you are our friends and family, um, we are putting it up so that you'll have access to it. Um, like I say, I saw a definitive difference in Walt once he started working with um, identifying the conscious, uh, unconscious um, manifestation program that he had running. And all of you can do it. Um, she gives you ideas of, of how to do it. And I think probably on the MP3, I didn't have time to listen to it. Has got a lot more information, so hopefully, uh, hopefully you'll be able to um, to find something good, you know, at the end of it. Because she always does some really good stuff. Plus, she agrees with me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Jean, have you got anything else you want to observe or add? Uh, not that I can think of. I think we've uh, covered a lot of stuff. Wide ranging, wide range of topics. Yes, it's been fun. It's always fun. We like fun. Yes, it is. Thank you for having me on. Well, we should always end in a cliffhanger, so we'll have uh, people will be on their toes for next week. (laughs) Oh, I think they will be. (laughs) So um, maybe we're finding out some more information for you, Dave. (laughs) Okay, so um, we're out of here again. Thank you, Jean. Thank you, Walt. Thank you, Colleen. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. We appreciate you. Thank you, everybody. Be safe. See you next week. Preaching, preaching, the unknown, unknown, unknown. You have been listening to the Cosmic Reality Radio Show, produced by Cosmic Reality Radio. Thank you for listening. Choose your heart as a man.